Welcome to the Supporting Children Affected by Domestic Abuse podcast. In this series, you'll learn about some of Stockport's domestic abuse partnership projects that are addressing this important issue. We share with you our learnings from a series of intervention and prevention projects from across our borough, including innovative work in hospitals, schools and training. Through this series, we hope that we can share and inspire similar projects in other local authorities and communities across the UK and beyond. This multi-agency approach is funded by the Home Office to explore how best to support children that may be experiencing domestic abuse. These projects aim to explore different ways to educate children, professionals and perpetrators in relation to domestic abuse. The ultimate aim was to reduce the impact on children and young people where they were experiencing domestic abuse, either in their own relationships or within their family homes. The episodes were recorded live at the Children Affected by Domestic Abuse Conference hosted by Stockport Metropolitan Borough Council. In this episode, you'll hear from Claire Osmond from Ongoing Women's Local Support, also known locally as OWLS. They support women who've left refuges and are trying to rebuild their lives. Claire set up the group in 2016 after experiencing the same challenge herself. Claire spent 10 weeks in a refuge run by Stockport Without Abuse, a charity you heard all about in episode 2 of this podcast. This is a survivor story, so some of the language and some of the subject matter might not be suitable for all audiences. This is Claire's story. I just want to thank you all for allowing me to come today and talk about the abuse that I went through. When I was 19, I met a man who in the beginning was charming and made me laugh. But then he would start to correct me if I mispronounced words. I thought he was just trying to make me a better person. He would do little digs and put me down in public. If I asked why, it was only a joke. I'm having a laugh. You're too sensitive. This would continue throughout our relationship. Three years later, I found out I was expecting my first child. I was happy, I was excited. But then as I got bigger and the attention was on the bump and me, I started to notice anger in his face when someone would would touch my bump. He was good at hiding it, but for a second before he gained control, I saw in his eyes the anger and even look of disgust. He would call me fatty and make out he was joking. I believed him. When he said I was the size of a whale, I believed him. Eventually, though, it did start to get to me. I hated people patting my stomach as I knew the name-calling and digs would start. Why would people want to touch you, look at you? You're disgusting. You disgust me. Soon after that, I began to get undressed in the bathroom. I would look in the mirror and think, I am fat. I am disgusting. Who would want to see me naked? Fat cow, another of his favourite name-callings. Then, a couple of weeks before I was due, a neighbour invited him round to show him something. I was tired and I ached all over, so I said I would go in the bath and asked him to make sure he took his key with him so I could lock the door. 20 minutes into the bath, I heard a banging on the front door. Yep, he had forgotten to take the key. As I struggled to get out of the bath, 38 weeks gone and four stone heavier, it was a struggle. The banging on the door was getting louder and louder. 
I eventually managed to waddle down the stairs and open the door. I turned my back to go back upstairs. He pushed past me and pushed me into the wall as he went. I was shocked, but then I thought, well, I had left him waiting on the doorstep. Maybe I did deserve it. I could hear him banging drawers in the kitchen, but then that was something he always did, so I thought nothing of it until I was halfway back up the stairs. He was at the bottom screaming at me. I am going to swear, so I do apologise. How fucking dare you leave me outside on the doorstep banging to get into my own front door? I turned and said calmly, I told you to take the key. His face was contorted. You fucking bitch, who the fuck do you think you are? He was coming towards me, so I turned to continue to go back to my bath. Don't you dare turn your back on me. I turned to answer him, and in his hand I saw a knife. He was quick. He slashed my leg. We stood there staring at each other for what seemed like an eternity, and then I started to cry and sat down. He dropped the knife. I'm so sorry, but you left me on the doorstep, and Jeff, the neighbour, was ribbing me about not being able to get in. I looked at him. I need to clean this up. The blood was pouring down my leg, and I felt sick. I wanted to get away from him. I couldn't stand to look at him or be near him, but he followed me to the bathroom. I didn't look at him. I just said it needed stitches. His reply, if I told anyone, they wouldn't believe me, and they would take the baby off me. And yes, I believed him, so I kept quiet. For the next year, I loved being a mum to Tony, but I had become a great actress and liar. The black eyes, I'd walked into a door. The bruises on my legs, I had fallen up or down the stairs. The bruises on my arms, they were just me being clumsy, walking into things. Then, just after her first birthday, I decided to leave while he was at work. I went to a friend's house, but he knew where I'd gone, so turned up late on the doorstep crying. He was telling me how sorry he was and that it was all down to money being tight, being busy at work, and he would change. It would never happen again. And yes, I believed him. My escape to freedom lasted all of 12 hours. The next couple of days were good, but on the third day, things changed. He came home from work in a foul mood. His tea wasn't ready. He started smashing up things, throwing things, and calling me names like lazy bitch and asked if I'd been sat on my fat arse all day. I tried to explain that the baby had not been well and that she'd been clingy, but he wasn't interested. He just wanted his tea. Eventually, I managed to get baby down and told him I was going to bed. I was woken up by him trying to remove my nightwear. I begged him to stop and tried, him to, and tried to fight him off me, but he was a lot stronger than me, and he said he would take it anywhere he wanted. He knew that my dad's friend raped me when I was 15, but he didn't care about it, my feelings. He just wanted the power. I remember having a hot bath afterwards and scrubbing my body till it bled to try and get the feel and smell off him, the smell of him off me. It felt like my skin was literally crawling. He never apologised and would go on to rape me time and time again. He never thought it was rape, just his right. He would also tell me that if ever I left, he would tell social services that I was a bad mother and I would lose her. And yes, I believed him. Nine months after I'd gone back, I gave birth to another beautiful baby girl. He was angry at me and he want, as he wanted a boy and that there must have been something wrong with me as I couldn't give birth to a boy. Four months later, after another vicious attack, I left, and this time I wouldn't go back. I was up in being on my own, and my girls was everything I needed, and no man would worm his way back in. Two years later, I met a guy who turned out to be controlling, a liar, a cheat, and a gambler. I refused to have sex with him until three months into the relationship, and I fell pregnant straight away. He would attend all my appointments with me, he would stroke my back while my head was down the toilet, 
and he would bring me home little gifts. I thought I'd struck it lucky, but of course it was all a lie. He was sleeping with other women, spending his wages on gambling and beer, and would say things like he'd had his wages stolen or they must have his wages must have fallen out of his pocket. Then when she was about five months old, I had to go to the doctors for a smear and he suggested I left her with him so I could go on my own. When I returned, he was in the front room with five of his mates, all smoking cannabis. Baby was smack bang in the middle, sat in a baby seat. I saw Red screamed at them to get out and they had gone. After they had gone, I packed everything in his car and locked it. That was the last day we would ever see him. I started to get my life back on track. My youngest was at nursery, so I decided to go back to work, but wanted to brush up on my skills. I started a computer course, and with every test I took, my confidence began to grow. I had met new friends and even gone out a couple of times for a drink, something that I never, ever did. A month after leaving the course, I received a call from the trainer saying that a job had come up in the office and thought I would be great for the role. I applied and got the job. After I'd been working there a while, I met another guy and thought at last I'd found my Prince Charming, but this one was the worst by far. I knew his parents as they lived next door but one, and they seemed really nice and would talk so highly of the son and would tell me how his wife had mistreated him. In the beginning, he would say things like, my ex was pure evil, she treated me badly. She wasn't the woman I thought she was or made out to be. She cheated on me, and yes, I believed him. We had been going out for a few months when my neighbour invited us to a birthday party. The girls were away, so I thought, why not? And he had to leave early, and he just grabbed my arm and said, Claire, it's time to go. My neighbour said, Claire, you don't have to leave. But he grabbed my arm again, spat in my face, and said, bye then. I left around about 5.30, just as he was leaving for work. Please tell me this isn't you just leaving. And I nodded and said, yes. He called me a slag and drove off. I was left thinking, what have I done? When I got in, I went for a shower and lifted my top. The bruising had started to come out, so, and I pushed it back to the, the back of my mind. As time went on, he got worse. He would shout at my friends and swear at them, and they would eventually stop calling. The girls' friends were too scared to call round as he would shout at them and slam the door in the face, and they too would stop calling for them. I got promotion at work, and he hated that I was on more money than him, and he only worked on a production line. He would say things that I wouldn't want him anymore. He wasn't good enough. He then moved it to, why have you got promotion? You're just a thick slag. They must be really scraping the bottom of the barrel if they've given you that job. At the time, I just remember thinking, why can't he just be happy for me? So fast forward 10 years and I have an emergency operation on a broken neck. He saw this way of taking full control. Then six months later, I didn't needed another operation. When I came round a theatre, and he had gone home, the lady in the bed opposite asked me if my boyfriend was right in the head. Surprised by this, I asked why, and she said, because he sat there crying and filmed you while you were asleep. I did think it was strange myself, but just laughed it off and never asked him why he'd filmed me. When I gave up work, he took over finan the financial side. I was given £10 a week for myself to live on. If I needed more, I would have to beg, literally beg. And then he started more on my girls. They were never allowed in the front room. He would send them to bed for no reason. He would hide food in bags upstairs so they wouldn't or couldn't eat it. He would also put five sheets of toilet roll out for the four females to last all day. He would count cutlery to make sure nothing was missing. Then we were never, they were never allowed to go out and play. 
and when we heard his car, the, wood, the girls would scarper and hide in the room. We could always tell what mood he was in by the way he shut the door. When the eldest one was old enough to drink, she had to be in by 11, or the front door were locked. He would hide the keys, so I couldn't let her in, even if I wanted to. Then, in January 2012, my mum paid for me to go on holiday with her. She knew he would never have let me go, up, go without him, so she said she had booked it as a surprise after everything I had gone through. The morning I left, he stood on the door crying. I thought, oh, bless, he is going to miss me. When I told my mum, she said, no, Claire, it's because he can't control you. Anyway, from the mo that moment on, we laughed every single day, although I had to ring in to check in. I dreaded hearing his voice and having to even talk to him. It turned my stomach. I guess being away from him and feeling happy and free made me realise how crap my so-called relationship was. About halfway through the holiday, I asked my mum if it was okay to go to the shop. She looked at me. Claire, you're 43 years old. Why are you asking me if you can go to the shop? That dinner, she asked me if I was happy. No. She then mentioned the going to the shop incident and asked me if I had to ask permission to the go to the shop. Yes. My whole body was started to shake and I began to cry. I told her I was nipping out for a tab and I sat on the step and started to cry really started to cry. The waiter, who was a close family friend and had been like a brother to me for years, came and sat beside me. He asked, has he ever hit you? No. Do you want to be with him? No. I sat there and told him everything, the cheating, the bullying of my girls, and how I felt like a prisoner in my own home. He then replied, Claire, you have a choice to make. Stay with this guy or go and live your life the way you are meant to live it. Be free and take your girls and get away from this monster. I knew right there and then what I had to do. I went back to my mum and looked at her. Mum, I'm leaving him. I don't know when or how, but I am. Once home, I told the girls of my plan. I knew I couldn't leave till Chelsea. My middle daughter had to leave college as it was a final year and she would go on to uni. Then in March, my eldest was ironing. I heard shouting. When I walked in, my eldest one was face to face with him. She was screaming that he had hit her. I told him to go away from her and he stormed off out she turned and said i'm going to live with nan in yorkshire i can't wait around till september when i left i was gutted i was broken things got worse his name calling his strangling control and everything my relationship with my girls were falling apart his mind games were sinking me more and more into depression till one day i had enough i was on lots of different medication for my neck and I started to pop them out of the blister packs. I had made a nice little pile and thought, I can end this right now. The girls would go back to their dads, be, dads be looked after, and my miserable life would be over, and the girls would be free. I had taken a couple when I heard the front door go. It was Chelsea. She'd finished college early and shouted up, Mum, are you in? I've got us a treat. It was like a wrecking ball hitting me in my chest and bringing me back to my senses. I quickly picked up all my tablets and put them in a drawer. Then one Friday, I had been out with my mum and the girls were away. I returned home to the house. It was spotless. And I mean spotless. My bedroom was covered in rose petals on the bed and the floor. He had run me a bath and a large vodka and coke was on the side of it. I just thought I would look after you, he said. Anyway, about nine o'clock, there was a knock at the door and a lady was stood there. I had never seen her before. Hi, you must be Claire. I'm here from the paper. Gary booked me. Confused, I shouted him to come to the door. He then said he had booked this lady to come and have a threesome. 
I felt sick, but calmly invited her in and then walked out the door saying, I hope you have a good night. She looked at me and said, you didn't know. I shook my head and carried on walking. When I returned, Gary was raging. He was screaming at me. What's wrong with you, you frigid cow? I ignored him and went to bed. 20 minutes later, there was another knock at the door. He had messaged her back saying, it's okay, she's up for it now. I went downstairs. She looked at me and said, you're not okay with this, are you? I shook my head and looked at him. What kind of sick bastard would do this? She said and left. This time, he started throwing stuff, smashing things, throwing his phone through the window saying she only left because I was too ugly. I slept in the girls' bedroom that night. A few months later, I had an appointment with the psychiatrist. She asked me what time of day my pain got worse, around three-ish. I remember replying and thinking, what a strange question. She then asked me what time my other half came home, four-ish. I don't know why, but I opened up and I mean really opened up. I told her everything, some things that I'd never even told other people. She explained that the pain was my body tensing as he came home. She told me it was abuse. He didn't hit me. She said, no, it do he doesn't have to hit you to, for it to be abuse, but don't worry, there is a way out. She had a friend that worked at Women's Aid and she said she would talk to her and see if she could get me help. A few days later, I got a call and they were fantastic. They asked if I would be open to moving outside the area, yes but I had to wait for Chelsea to go to uni in a month's time. Thursday the 6th of September, I got a call saying there was a space coming up on Monday the 10th of September at Stockport without abuse and the room was mine if I wanted it. Yes, please, I said. She said the lady would call me tomorrow. So Friday morning, I was waiting by the phone and I jumped out my skin when it did eventually ring. The lady was called Pauline and she was lovely, so kind and very calming. She went through my escape plan and told me a list of things that I would need to bring with me. She said I could move in on Monday, but I was to ring first to get the address. I rang my mum and told her, and she started to cry, but she was happy that I was getting away from him. I told the girls, and as Chelsea was moving, we'd got more boxes so I could hide my stuff in hers and get them to my mum's, and I would collect them when I could get back. The next day we took Chelsea to Liverpool and to her students' accommodation. Although I was sad, I knew she would be happy there and would be away from him. On the drive back, he turned and told me that he was off next week. My heart sank. He was still controlling my life and then pure panic sank in. What about the refuge? There was no way I could get out while he's, he was off. I really didn't remember much over the weekend. I was just dead and numb. Monday after he went to the gym, again I rang Stockport without abuse and explained that he was off and that I couldn't make it. Pauline was great. She said I needed to go away and they didn't usually do this, but they would hold a room for a week if I was definitely coming. I promised 110% I would be there even I have to walk all the way. Monday 17th of September 2012. I got up as soon as he left and finished packing and getting all my important things together, including the 50-inch TV. He wasn't having that. I also rang to change my mobile number. My friend arrived followed soon by Amy from Women's Aid, who came to see that I got away okay. Amy had also arranged for a police car to control the area in case he came home. As we set off, we were super excited for our new life, a life that was free and a life where we could do what we want when we wanted. It really did feel like the chain had been removed from our ankles and it felt amazing. 
I know that it would be a long road to recovery, but I didn't care. We arrived at the refuge and the, maid, the ladies that met us were lovely. Pauline showed us to a room and to say it was a surprise was an understatement. The room was big and like a flat. I don't know why, but in my head I had pictured something out of Bates Motel. Pauline gave ten, us 10 minutes and then I had to go and sign, in all the, sign all the paperwork. We then set off for the supermarket. Now bear in mind we had been so controlled, even down to the food that we ate, we ended up spending £200 on absolute junk. And yes, we did eat the lot. A few years later, my friend said, the thing that upset her most that day was Courtney asking for things and her face when I said that she could have what she wanted. I kept in touch with my mum, but she didn't want to know the address as she didn't want to lie if he went round. He did go round and sat in my mum's front room and cried. Once he stopped, his first words were, I've got no control over her anymore. Not where is she, but I've got no more control. He would continue to go round, but she had a camera, so wouldn't answer the door. A few days later, he sent his sister to the door, and whilst he hid round the corner, of course, my mum, not knowing who it was, opened it. He asked her if she knew where I was. No. He said he was going to report me as a missing person, and my mum said, just do what you have to do. A few hours later, my mum rang, gave me a number of a policeman, and asked if I could ring him. The policeman was lovely. And he would ask me one question, are you in a refuge? Yes. And he said, as long as you are safe, I will tell him I have spoken to you and that you're safe and that would be the end of it. I asked if it was normal for a woman to be reported missing. And he said, yes, they think that we will tell them where they are, but of course we never do. So we settled into the refuge and I got myself a support worker and so did Courtney. Hers was Nadine. She helped Courtney so much and she would go into school to see her. A few weeks later, Nadine called me to arrange a meeting. I thought it was strange, as I knew she wasn't allowed to tell me anything that was discussed in the sessions. When I met her, she had said Courtney had given her permission to tell her the things that she had disclosed. Courtney had told Nadine that if I had gone out, he would go march straight into her room and hit her across the head. That's before you start, and if you don't behave, the next one will be harder. It would also make her eat whatever he cooked. And one time he made her cereal and poured over soured milk and made her eat it. He would also call her horrible names and say things like, no wonder your dad didn't want you. I'm so glad you're not my child. One time he even stopped her coming on holiday with us as punishment and she had to stay at my mum's. Now, I knew about the holiday, of course, but the other stuff broke me as a mother into a million pieces. Nadine must have told Courtney and she had because when she came home from school, she looked at me and burst out crying, walked up to me and gave me a massive hug. We stood there for ages crying and holding each other. Once she stopped, I asked her why she didn't say anything and the answer was, because he said it would kill me and I believed him. Sorry. <laughs> right, breathe. Today my girls have turned out okay. Despite my exes, we've, we've had a few bumps in the road. My eldest got into a relationship with a head worker and she took an overdose. But she got help and is in a solid relationship now. My youngest began to self-harm when she was about 18 and she still st struggles with the depression and anxiety. But she is getting help. My middle one isn't interested at all. She's just happy travelling the world. Thankfully, times have changed. There was nothing, only Nadine back then. 
Now, if a child is affected by domestic violence, there are many more agencies. Debbie, the ZYP worker at Stockport Without Abuse, TLC's Children in Need, and Jigsaw, to name a few. But these agencies are often overstretched, underfunded, and have long waiting lists. Improvements are much needed. So now I'm going to talk about owls. So I was in the refuge for 10 weeks, got loads of help and support, got my forever home, and on a Wednesday, the refuge would have a coffee morning and ex-residents were still allowed to attend these. And then in 2015, I got a phone call saying they'd lost a lot of funding and the coffee morning was to stop. And then one day, my housing officer came in and a lady from the, who I'd met from the refuge rang me and she was wanting information. So my housing officer said, Claire, why don't you start your own group? I can't do that. I'm not, I don't know how. And Stockport Homes were brilliant. They arranged everything. So that was, it'll be four years this month that OWL started. We started off as a little coffee morning on a Wednesday. And then we started to get bigger and bigger. We do a buddy system. So if women have appointments, court, solicitors, doctors, rape interviews, we can go along with them and help. And then we do one-to-one peer support. Two years ago, I went to London and done the facilitate training course for the Freedom Program. So now we do the Freedom Program, which is a 12-week course that looks into the tactics and the beliefs of the perpetrator. And next month, we start our first evening course as well. We've grown and grown. So next week is our grand opening of our brand new premises. Um, We've got everything all in one, One one-to-one room, training room, a nice lounge for the coffee morning. And we just continue to get busier and busier. And I just want to thank you all for listening to me. Thank you. If you or anyone else you know is suffering from domestic abuse, please call the National Domestic Abuse Helpline 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 0808 2000 247. That's 0808 2000 247. For more information about what's been discussed in this episode, please visit safeguardingchildreninstockport.org.uk. Further links are available in this episode's show notes. You can also join the conversation on social media. Both Twitter and Facebook are forward slash StockportMBC. This podcast is produced by me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull and is a Mike Media Production.